future writers and all that kind of stuff. So a lot of my time is spent um, within. GPS signal lost. A lot of my time is spent <laughs> getting lost. <laughs> We're going to use this, right? That's so random. That's so random. How the hell? Webster. It's, not, it's on silent. I don't even... All right. I've oh, got yeah. a I've got a bit that I need to yeah. do. Yeah. We need to finishing game. Have a pre-recorded bit. Just like I don't care yeah. you do this thing. Uh, what was it again? Hello. Um Hello and welcome to Word Up Podcast. I'm Evie. And I'm Webster. And today we are with the first guest of our new season. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you introduce yourself? My name is Joel <laughs> McCarrow. I am an Australian spoken word artist. Welcome to the podcast. It yeah. is good to be here. Welcome to Amsterdam. How's <laughs> Thank it, you. How's it feel? Uh, it feels, um, I'm feeling pretty exhausted uh, after, uh, I think it was about 26 hours total in transit. So I got here yesterday. Um, and then, because it's like whatever ridiculous o'clock when I arrived in Melbourne, I'm like, well, I'm, I need to stay up till nighttime. And so I went <laughs> adventuring through the city, and um, which was wonderful to have that experience. Uh, but then just by the end of that, was absolutely exhausted and um, had little sleep again. And then decided I'd go to a museum today and walk around seeing uh, Vincent Vincent's work at the Van Gogh Museum. Nice. And so... Um, you know, after all that, I'm kind of ready for a sleep. But we'll do a podcast instead of sleeping. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, That's we need we need you awake for this one. <laughs> okay, great. Try to do it. So, what's your first impression of Amsterdam? Oh, my first impression of Amsterdam. Uh, I really like it. I like that it um, has. It feels like there is a focus on aesthetics and yeah. uh, simplicity, and um, yeah, just and design like people care about what their spaces look like right. and it feels like the city as a whole cares about what their spaces look like which i i love going into cities where that's the case where yeah. people have obviously thought um about aesthetics and design and um concentrated on that in architecture and in although there, there's somehow like I'm walking down the street and a lot of the houses are not straight. No, I think you must be high. That's <laughs> not, that, that's, that's that's not, not true. true. <laughs> no, it's it was true. kind of freaking me out. I'm like, I can see the curving angle of that house. It's a little scary. Yeah. But um, I'm, I really like Amsterdam. I was thinking today walking, I'm like, oh, I could, this is a city I could live in. Yeah. 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 And what brings you here? Uh, so I'm here for a festival. Um, so I, I have the lucky... Um, Lucky, it is lucky, although it's not as uh, romanticized as people make it out to be to be a full-time spoken word poet who gets to travel around the world. Sounds wonderful, which it is, but it also can be a lonely thing and can be a hard breaking of rhythms and pattern thing. And um, But I am here, a festival has invited me to come to festivals, one here and one in the UK. So performing um, tomorrow night is the opener. So I'm, I'll be opening to, I think there's a few thousand people there. Wow. Um, so um, yeah, I'm doing the, the spoken word opening piece uh, with a, a poem of mine called Welcome Home, um, which is a letter to the creative artist to say, welcome home. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Mm. That's pretty exciting. Mm. I'm uh, 
So how did you get started in spoken word? Uh, how did I get started? I got started um, many years ago. I was... Um, Oh, it's a, I'll give you a shortened version of the long story. That's probably a good thing to do. Uh, I actually got started on the border of Thailand and Burma is where I got started really with the writing side of things. So I'd written a bit of poetry in, in my teenage years, but it was a very uh, cliche, very cringe factor teenage <laughs> kind of poetry. Um, but then I was on the border of Thailand and Burma. I went over to do some work there in an orphanage at, um a place where kids came across the border out of Burma after they'd seen a lot of their like their family wiped out and villages their villages wiped out by the military uh, over there um, and had escaped across the border and, and the Thai government wouldn't let them um, uh, wouldn't let them become Thai citizens or anything like that so they couldn't get any medical or um, education or anything so there's a whole lot of there's a strip called no man's land between Thailand and Burma where there's a whole lot of villages that came up and a bunch of refugee camps and things like that uh, and so I went to this um, orphanage I was there and my first experience there I, I kind of walked in as this uh, this mother came in who'd been trekking for a few days with her little baby boy on her back who was really sick um, and she heard about this this orphanage that she could go to and get medical attention and she got there but as as she got there she realized that her baby boy uh, had just died on her back uh, and so I kind of arrived at the same time to this wailing weeping mother um, and then my my first job at this place was to go I remember walking up this little kind of sandy jungle path into this uh into this bamboo jungle this clearing this grave site clearing with all these um bamboo crosses just stuck into the sand there and and my job with two of the orphan boys was to dig a grave for this little baby boy and um and it just shattered my life. Like I'd, I'd grown up really comfortable um, in, in kind of white uh, upper middle class um, bubbleville um, and had no idea about the reality of the world uh, really. And so um, this, ex I just, um, it's, this is a long, long story to say. Uh, I needed some way to express the shattering. Like I just got angry. I got angry at my angry at Western society, um, that we would allow this to happen, angry at my parents to let me grow up in kind of ignorance, angry at myself, just angry. And, um, and I pulled out a pen and paper and I started writing. I remember writing there on the border in this little bamboo hut, hearing like machine gun fire in the valleys over in Burma. And, um, the writing came out as poetry, as, as me just trying to get out the wrestling around inside that had been happening through this. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where, where my writing began a little, a little while later. Um, I, a friend, um, sent me a YouTube link to Anis Mojgani. Um, has it, have you heard of Anis Mojgani? He's an American performance poet was, he won national poetry slam in the States and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. He's a famous poet over there. And, um, and I just had that moment of watching like spoken word for the first time and going, oh shit, like <laughs> this exists, this like, it yeah. moved me so much. And so I'd been college lecturing and doing a bunch of stuff. And so kind of bringing together this love that I had had over that past year of writing and poetry and, and, and now like the performance aspect, I was like, this is me, like I've found my thing. Uh, and then it took over my life.
Wow. Yeah. That's intense. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's an intense story. Just to just to kick off the podcast with a with a nice lighthearted story yeah. about Burma and genocide and that's a fascinating way to get into your craft. Yeah. And yeah. was it was it a case of you were writing, you started writing at that point and you didn't think about performance? And yeah. No, it, was it definitely just wasn't about performance. More of an outlet. Yeah, I I didn't even know you could perform poetry anywhere at that right. point. Um it was just an outlet for me to uh, express myself, to uh, I think to work through those rumbling around that anger and that injustice and that all the stuff that was coming up in me from that experience. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Would you say you have certain topics you write about? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, pro- stemming out of that uh, and um, my life since that time, that was kind of the beginnings of of I suppose what I'd call the shattering of my life and worldview and understanding and um, my my fishbowl, I suppose you could say. I think I said to you yesterday mm. that my, one of my favourite um, sayings in the world is, is a fish in a bowl doesn't know that it's wet. <laughs> um, it's been swimming around in its w- little water fishbowl all of its life and has no idea about this thing called dryness. And, yeah. and this experience for me was like a, a shattering of my fishbowl, like a... I had to confront my my privileged existence in all the different ways that I am privileged as a white man, um, a white heterosexual married man in our world. Um, and so that, that experience for me then uh, led into a whole lot of writing mm. as my life, as I was kind of deconstructing and challenging Western society and um, our media system and, uh, and our consumer system that we were a part of and all that kind of stuff that naturally kind of came out in my writing. Um, so I definitely uh, worked through that. But, and then at the same time, it, it kind of then began to... I suppose my other thing that I write on a lot, um, as well as the social issues in the world and my own privilege amongst that would be um, kind of my, well, I think what I began to realise as I was writing my poetry and as I was doing a bunch of kind of, I don't know, activist stuff and, and, and trying to use my life to better our world and things like that, I still just saw so much... Um, in the, the communities and the activist communities and the people that I was connected to who were trying to change the world, I mm. still was like in the wake of all the good stuff that they're doing, there's all these broken relationships and um, it was like they didn't deal with their own shit. <laughs> <laughs> and so as much as they were trying to help the world, there was still their own shit got in the way. And so a lot of my topics then um, have become, I think, of poetry as a way for me to really self-reflect and ask myself hard questions and mm. a space to lament my life and challenge my inner world and and bring hope to my inner world as well to kind of hold um i call i call it inside my my aching pain and my delicious hope that i think each of us have uh, aching pain and delicious hope in our lives mm. um and it's really easy, I suppose it's really easy to go to either one of those. Like some people go really easily to the aching pain and the woe is me and everything is fucked. And am I, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah. You yeah. just did. I just did. Sorry, <laughs> sorry children who might be listening. Um, uh, um, yeah, like some of us really get into that uh, kind of deep, dark, uh, the world is screwed um, poetry and creativity in general but i think it's actually for me it's like it's actually the job of the artist the role of the artist i think in society and in our lives is to hold both of those 
two things together aching pain and delicious hope like the aching pain that laments and questions Mm. and challenges the reality of of our world and how our world is structured and set up um but then also calling people to the delicious hope of what could be um in fact the poem that that i'll do maybe a bit later um it's called do not despair it's it's actually all around this um this idea of holding this aching pain and delicious hope together yeah so it's just holding both it's not finding a sweet spot in between I, I, yeah, I don't know if there's a sweet spot in between <laughs> aching pain and delicious hope. Uh, and I think sometimes it's, I think sometimes it's actually right to sit in the aching pain yeah. for a lot longer because it's it's too fake to go to the delicious hope, like uh-huh. if if that makes sense. And I think uh, at times then we've kind of got to drag ourselves out of the pit of aching pain through delicious hope through um, inspiring things and beautiful things and open our eyes again to see the beauty in the world and um, I, I went to the um, as I said I went to the Van Gogh Museum at the start mm-hmm. um, I went to Van Gogh Museum today and was walking around and um, just seeing like his uh, his use of color and paint in, in everything we know about Van Gogh like rebelling against um, all that was happening in his interior mm. mental world um, that was bringing him into depression and things like that it was like yeah I just just that word rebellion just kept on coming into my head like he's rebelling against this the aching pain of his life through painting the most vividly colored beautiful things I'm like that's what I want to do with my poetry like I want it mm-hmm. I, I do want it to question and challenge the dark um, but I want it I want to paint vivid like I want to paint beauty and and give myself to beauty as well so they're holding those two together obviously is is really important for me with my poetry yeah Yeah, because they do say that it's three things that uh, allow you to get rid of the pain Mm. is Mm. sound breath and movement Mm. so writing is like Mm. journaling can be a movement and sound is so you're doing that through your poetry yeah absolutely all these three things right because you still breathe in between i guess (laughs) (laughs) casually once in a while (laughs) once in a while yeah yeah and are there any artists that you take inspiration from you're speaking of van gogh and his idea of rebelling yeah Um, yeah where else do you source inspiration for your poetry oh lots of different places um Recently, um, poetry-wise, has been uh, Mary Oliver. Have you heard of Mary Oliver? She's an American poet. She passed away last year, maybe. So an older lady, um, not a spoken word poet, though she has there's there's recordings and stuff of her sharing poetry. But um, she oh, her poetry is just beautifully rich um, and really vivid around kind of observations. So her her creative discipline was taking a um, taking a notepad and pen every morning she lived in a forest for most of her life and she so she'd go for a walk in the forest every day and just observe something just sit there and write about the birds in the nest or the caterpillar or the or the whatever it might be and then out of that came her poetry um, and so the poetry is filled with kind of animals and beauty and forests and lots of things but always the she gets to the the deeper reality through the physical reality um so she's been really inspiring me over the last while um mary oliver um oh i'm sure there's lots of others as well i've always been into kind of the sufi poets rumi and 
Hafiz and Khalil Gibran and a bunch of those kind of mm. poets um, really inspire my work. Probably the someone who's had the probably the most uh, effect on my writing and probably on my life actually as well is a um, is an old Irish poet. He died a few years ago. In, oh, I forget what year. I don't know. Um, maybe like ten years ago or something. Um, but he his name's John O'Donoghue. Um, so he's an Irish. He was an Irish Catholic priest, poet, philosopher. Um, but his writing is yeah. just beautiful, stunning kind of stuff. Like I remember picking up his book and reading it, and and it was one of those moments of oh, I found my people. Like mm-hmm. I've found my my tribe in his writing. Um, yeah. yeah, not just like his his prose writing is just as much poetry as his poetry writing. Um, yeah, so he has inspired me no end in life, absolutely. Yeah, but he's mm. quite amazing. This one you know I know. His work? Yeah, oh, great. Yeah, <laughs> I read yeah. him, I think I was 15 for the first time. Oh, wow, yeah. And I read it and translated, not in English, and then I had yeah. to reread everything in English. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, it also was, yeah, I relate to everything you said, so yeah. it's uh, pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, but you're also not just a poet, you're also a teacher. And I am a teacher, <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about yeah, that? Yeah, I do a lot of, so um, I think because I don't, I never want my poetry just to be about me, just like mm. the, you know, poetry can be so uh, self-wankerish, does that translate <laughs> at all? <laughs> um, Self-masturbatory. Yeah, self-masturbatory. Um, I, I always want my poetry to be about bigger things than just myself and my my poetry career my um my poetry vocation to be as well that it's not just me trying to use poetry for my own betterment but um but trying to bring about a better world a better society trying to inspire and um future writers and all that kind of stuff so a lot of my time is spent um within schools and within um, in, sometimes in juvenile justice centres and um, indigenous communities and refugee communities and stuff around Australia. Um, in fact, I when I first started doing poetry, very quickly um, wanted to bring it into something, and so a friend, a few friends, um, and myself started an organisation called the Centre for Poetics and Justice. So going into places and using poetry and hip hop and rap as a as a way for um, uh, kids who are going through hard stuff to explore their own story and share their own story and things like that and so it, it doesn't happen anymore but I can I'm continuing that work so I do a lot of um, a work normally either around identity or around social issues or bringing the two together um, within schools but it's it's just as rewarding as performing poetry in front of thousands of people like to to get in and have a a kid who um I don't know, he's like really shy and or rolls their eyes when you say you're going to do poetry and has a, just a very narrow understanding and then like just begins to open up and open up and then if you get a, a few um, school days with them or whatever and to see them by the end like screaming their poetry into yeah. the world and that that thing that we know that poetry can be, um, oh, just makes it all worth it. I love it. Yeah, so I love doing stuff in schools, education stuff. Yeah. Mm. Is there something else you do? The secret. Uh... <laughs> what else do you do? <laughs> Is there other things that I like do? The cape coming out. <laughs> other things than poetry. Uh, what else do I do? I have no idea what I do in my. I do. I have a hobby um, that's not about writing. Parenting. Is... 
parenting. I, I, that's not my full hobby. Full-time hobby, yeah. <laughs> that's my full-time hobby. So I do have, I am a father of two, a three-year-old and a five-year-old. Oh, nice. Um, so life is very hectic and exhausting with those two. Um, and so um, I'm married, so I try to be a, a husband in there as well in, in that time. And, um, and, and I also, this hobby is... Um, is wood carving i actually i really love um i picked it up maybe two or three years ago nice. um just picking up a bit of wood and and i've got some kind of palm knives and just carving and making whatever bodies sculptures and uh, i just did a horse for a, a friend um recently and yeah and i never i've never done that kind of hand work before but i've really fallen in love with it so when i get time which i don't get heaps of time mm. Being, um, being poetry career and touring and performing, and then whenever I'm home, parenting, and if they're asleep, then then that's when the trying to be a good husband kind of thing comes into it. Um, yeah, yeah. So my life is very full right. between everything that I do, because because my poetry, um, I, I also have a lot of stuff that I do with my poetry in terms of projects that I'm working on and things like that. Um, right. So I don't just kind of get up and perform poetry in a few places or whatever. I'm constantly like, okay, what's my next thing? What's my next thing I'm working on? Um, so there's a I've just um, finished the first draft of a fiction book that I've been writing, a um, fantasy kind of young adult fantasy esque type thing nice. um, yeah and um, I have an album so I've done I've done three albums in the past of, of music and poetry combined and got uh, another one that I'm beginning to work on at the moment um, and I have a book coming out later in the year in November which is like a non-fiction um, not uh, a little bit memoir-esque but um, it actually begins with the story that I just told before on about um, where poetry began for me um, and kind of goes into what it looks like to have your world shattered and and then um, how to um, reweave it's called, it's a book called woven um, how to reweave your life together so there's always I'm just constantly on to I have about yeah I've got lots <laughs> of things that I do um, one of my exciting things coming up soon is um, I don't even know when this is coming out but if if this comes out before my thing starts which is september 9th um it's coming out after so you're going to hear it in in post you won't be here before this thing starts but um and my first online course which um, oh, cool. um yeah starting september 9th um so online creative writing course all around self-reflection and poetry and things like that mm -hmm. so i'm really excited about that i'm bringing that together doing all the filming of and for the videos and all that kind of thing at the moment so and we'll put the link on the oh yes yes yeah. put the link on because i'll run it again um, yeah. so joel mccaro education.com is where it is is where people can find out um, the next one that I'm gonna I'll do the same one again. So the one that's happening um, in September is called uh, a clearing in the forest, um, a an online writing course for the cultivating of artistry and self growth through the creative process. So it's a mm. specifically a creative process kind of course um, for people to begin with having nothing, mm -hmm. having no idea what to write or what to do, and and feeling quite stuck in that trying to get them all the way through to, to the point where they're um, 
inviting people into their work, whatever, whatever that looks like. Um, nice. This yeah. sounds really busy. Yeah. It's my life. <laughs> yeah, my life is insane. Do you have help with that or do you, do you have assistant? Do you have five? I, I wish I had an assistant. I wish, I really wish I had an assistant. I don't. No, I, I do it all myself. Um, actually, my wife does actually help. No, so I don't do it all myself. Um, Shout out. <laughs> Shout out to my wife who, who does. Uh, she did a lot of the, like the web design for my course and things like that. Um, okay. So she's been helping out a bunch recently. But most of the time, yeah, I'm just organizing it all, and um, oh. which is kind of the it's it's part of that. Like I said before, that romanticized idea of what a full time poetry career is, mm. when probably oh, and and it's the same. Any artist I talk to, it's the same. It's like seventy percent of their full time career is logistics and emails mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> invoicing and all that kind of crap that we have to do. And then there's like two days of actually like thirty percent of actually creative. creative time of writing, and then another bit of time of performing. And yeah, so I wish that I wish I had some assistance so that oh. I so that my full time poetry career is actually writing poetry full time <laughs> right, right. that would be wonderful i'm just like having time to meditate and like yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right reflect yeah yeah well we would love to hear one of your poems if sure. you don't mind yeah absolutely i can do that there is too much pain here have you seen it or not seen it as much as felt it Let the broken wrap around you like chain, like heavy chain, like sorrow. There is too much sorrow here. It gets under your skin and in your eyes, a dark lens, and everything seems hopeless these days. Everything seems hopeless. The little girls taken as sex slaves, a suicide behind detention center fences, a black man shot, a little boy washed up on a beach, a wife beaten, the president his grabby hands, and how we just bluff off abuse from those who are in power, the incarceration of color, and always, always the starving children, and the people my government still keeps imprisoned on an island called Nauru. Sometimes I don't know what to do. Despair is an absence, and I feel useless in its blankness. And yet, friends, my daughter still makes me smile. And my son, he makes me laugh. Yet, the girl who was raped... On the day that I met her, she would not stop giggling and tickling her brother, both of them lost in a rapture deeper than I could ever know. Yet the girl with the HIV scabs all over her body on the dirty streets of Kampala, she would not stop pulling faces at me, her revelry, a refusal in the face of the disease that burnt through her body. Yet the boy in Burma who had just seen his family shot, he still loved to play paper, rock and scissors, and he would beat me every time. Yet the children still chase each other daily through the bombed out buildings of the broken city they do not realize so they do not let the delight die yet they fly kites yet they dance yet they dream yet the mothers still sing and I have heard their song and it sounds like hope and it sounds like jubilation and I do not understand it still 
joy resides here where she should not be. There she thrives more vibrant than anything. And so if these fractured friends, if they may still smile, then I too must appreciate the way that the day always begins with color. The way the flowers grow. The way the words taste. The way the afternoon sun warms my skin. The way she lets me in. I too must hold hands with delight. Kiss the extravagance to revel in this existence. To not despair. To see that beauty. She is everywhere. Folded deep into every dark thing. So may our lives be a chasing of the beautiful, not a taking of the light into the darkness, but recognizing she already resides there. Let us chase the light and find the light and run the light and taste the light, become the light and dance the light even in the night when the sun is cast upon a heavy moon. Friends, Do not despair, for this beauty, this light, this joy, this hope, they are everywhere, folded deep into every dark thing. (laughs) Thank you. That was amazing. Thank you very much for sharing. Yeah, no worries. My pleasure. Powerful and emotional. That's, yeah, I'm, I'm goosebumpy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm. So tell us about your process. How did you get to this? Uh, uh, that's that's a good question. My process um, for this this poem or my poetry in in general is um, trying to I think come at both the um, what I call probably the abstract and the concrete and to bring these to bring both together. And so if, if every poem has every piece of writing really, but poetry is kind of about the, the deep things and the big things and the hard things, it's about social injustice and it's about pain and suffering and joy and and extravagance and all that kind of stuff. But they're very abstract things. Like how do you talk about hope? Um, how do you talk about love or suffering or loss or whatever it is? And so why, what I'm always trying to do with my creative process is to, um, to hold, to, to bring that abstract concept, that thematic idea into relationship with, into dialogue with, with story and imagery. And so for me, like with that poem that I just did is, um, re- reflecting on the pain, the the aching pain and delicious hope, like we were talking about before, of the world, but re- kind of going through and remembering these experiences that I've had in my life, where in the midst of where where you would expect darkness to be, and there to be no hope, seeing like the hope in these kids um, playing and in the joy in them and the the power in these mamas singing beautiful songs and like all these experiences that I've had throughout the world. And so to link um, kind of abstract idea with the story with some of the stories from my life, um, I, I think that's what I'm always trying to do with my poetry. Uh, and so my, my kind of creative process, I normally I either come at it from 
either of those angles. Like I'll start in the abstract and the conceptual with with a thought, mm. with an idea, something that I want to write about, and then and then kind of begin to work from there. What's the um, from that meta thing, what's the metaphor that could play with it, that could uh, engage with it? What's either metaphor or story or imagery in, in any kind of sense? Uh, and so I'll, I'll either go from the abstract into the concrete in that, in that way um, and connect that, that abstract concept to um, normally using my five senses. I often use my five senses a lot, like um, if I could um taste that the if i could taste hope what does what does hope taste like for me or if i could yeah that kind of idea what really struck me was mm. how visual that mm. piece was for mm. me i was seeing everything you were speaking about yeah and because it's so yeah. vivid uh, and yeah. colorful in a sense yeah uh, i felt like i was there you know yeah. going through the journey that you're speaking of in yeah, that moment yeah. so i think i think that really worked yeah sweet yeah sweet so um yeah so i kind of take those uh, those two things i bring them together but a big thing part of my process is allowing myself to write crap um <laughs> is so one, one of the things i always tell my students the secret to writing poetry writing really good poetry is stop trying to write really good poetry because um, we just get too quickly into editing brain um, and and our creative flow gets stifled like we we're, we're up here critiquing our work before we even write write written it before we even know what it's meant to be we're questioning what we're doing and so the only way to write good poetry is to write tons and tons of shit poetry just verbal to diarrhea. verbal diarrhea <laughs> to write and write and write and write and and then take that and craft that into the pieces that I then get to perform to thousands of people um, but to start with, it's just being willing. So I show up every day. My creative practice is I write a poem every day. Um, and most of that poetry is crap. Yeah. But that's that's the point. Like there's no way that I can get to the good stuff if I'm not willing just to to sit there and write it out. And I often will start with with flow of conscious. Um, so pen to paper and, and not allowing my pen to stop moving. Um, and then going in and finding the, the best stuff within that to take and craft into the actual final piece. Are there any any things in normal life that you think contribute to you writing well or better or more to your core in a sense in my normal life yeah i was thinking about this the other day actually because i um i realized like in when i do have time for writing and when i have a day that's like oh, a writing day i will um i've i've worked out that i i like carve space for me to do my creativity without even kind of realizing it like so it's my it's my job to take the kids to school and childcare so I drop them at school and childcare and then I come home and I go um straight into the kitchen and and it's just like making a cup of tea which I thought was just making a cup of tea but it's actually um something that is bringing me into being present into the moment like it's it's this slowing myself down and then I take that tea to um my I have an old antique desk that I took and and restored myself and stuff and so that's where I do a bunch of my writing from and so just even like opening that desk up and sitting there with my tea mm. um it's like a, a a ritual in some sense like it it gives me the space to then create out of so i think that really helps like having this carved set aside space and carved set aside time as well um is a really helpful thing just so that i'm and with no social media um and all that kind of stuff so that i'm present because i think the work of any writer 
um, any writer who wants to make it, who wants to actually write stuff, like the writer's job is to show up, to sit down and to not get up until it's done, like to just go at it and have that discipline and practice. So I think the more ritual, the pattern kind of habitual stuff that I can bring in, in my ordinary life, the, the better my writing then comes out of it. Yeah. So no pictures of kittens. So. Oh, no pictures of kittens. <laughs> you don't sacrifice a chicken before you ride or no, anything like that. No, no surprisingly okay. not. Or a kangaroo. I'm That's from Australia. Strange, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no sacrificial kangaroos. Oh, okay, good to know. No animals were injured. So. Uh, no, no. Although there was a, this is so freaking Aussie. There was a kookaburra stuck in our house the other day. Do you ever know what a kookaburra is? I was going to ask. I don't know what I've heard the word. Is. I've heard the word too. It's a very Australian bird. It's like a... Oh, it's uh, a bird. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but big, like massive bird. It's a bird that laughs. Like it's... it's oh, call. many birds laugh. Its call is very distinctively laughter. <laughs> it really sounds like it's laughing. So there was this massive um, kookaburra stuck right. in our house the other day. And she was laughing at you? (laughs) No, I wasn't laughing, uh, but it was... (laughs) My three-year-old was freaked out by it. It's probably bigger than... uh... It's bigger than her, yeah. yeah. Um, But I had to, I was like, I had to do the whole protective dad thing, so I had to be like courageous and bold. That's the keep. That's where the keep comes in. I'm like shitting myself as well. I remember a bird came into our house a few years ago before kids and I was like petrified to get my wife to get it out. I was too scared to get out myself. But now I had to be the protective dad and now I've... Yeah. uh, You're a big burly man. I'm a big burly man. (laughs) Who would think that I... It was one of those black crows. That's what had come in. Those steely eyes. Yeah. Like, you're just gonna bite my face off yeah wow but um and the kookaburra has the same kind of savage like real strong beak that oh, you're really? like oh if that thing got near me no. are they the but ones with the big and i got it out three three massive no. toes no i'm thinking of something no. else that's really dangerous in australia <laughs> I mean, <laughs> with people... three massive toes yeah it's got like three claw type oh yeah it's a bird okay yeah Anyway, it's a bird. <laughs> it's I'll, a find it. I'll find there it. There is a lot of dangerous that. things. In yeah, China, yeah. So. <laughs> oh yeah, that's the one. It's called a coop emu, an emu, an emu. Oh, they're scary. They're they're just massive. Yeah, they're like you won't, you don't, you, but you're never gonna see emus like already oh, really? just roaming around, roaming around. No. Okay, cool. They're, they're they'll don't. be out in the bush, out in. Oh, okay, good. Outback Australia. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> I had a trip planned. I was very worried. Right. No, no emus or kangaroos jumping down Main Street of Melbourne, unfortunately. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. You never know, maybe. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, so National Geographic. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> From poetry to... <laughs> Flora and fauna of Australia. Wildlife of Australia. It's great. It's good to know. I mean, now we know another word. <laughs> and another Kookaburra, yeah. <laughs> Um, I wanted to know about your process before going on stage. Mm. Um, how much do you perform after you've written uh, a piece? Yeah, is it yeah. something you practice in the mirror or is it something that comes out kind of naturally because you're practicing it in your head? How does that, how does uh, that work? I make sure I do it out loud a lot. So my, my memorizing technique, I memorize a lot of my poetry and that is out loud, just grabbing um, the first 
verse stanza or chunk whatever um and going over it again and again and again and again uh and then the next and the next and the next and then memorizing how they join together um so i'm constantly saying my poetry out loud and that helps me as well to find the rhythm that i want to bring to it uh and to find the different dynamics like the the raising in voice and dropping voice and pace and tone and tonal changes all that kind of stuff and so um yeah i do a lot of work i think taking it from the page to then to then performing it um but it, it really is all out loud again and again and again and again i think that's the only way that i've found to do it um to work out what it can be um yeah and then as i get on stage with it um i think probably just a big part of it for me is wanting to um to give people an experience of of the poem so obviously in in performance poetry always say don't tell me your poem show me your poem um but i want to do more than just show as well Mm -hmm. like i want i want to give people an experience i want them to feel the heart of it the the joy of it the anger of it the whatever it's about um the sadness of it and so that for me means i need to be willing to go to that place as well Mm -hmm. and so um I'm constantly trying to, even though a piece that I might have performed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times before, trying when I get up on stage to be as present as I can to that piece, just like I was doing it that first time, mm-hmm. to to share it with as much emotional conviction and authenticity uh, as I can. So I'm so my before I jump up and perform, I'm I'm really focusing on trying to be present and embody that poem as I get up there. Mm. Yeah, it sounds very heavy also because you go through into that through empathy also, like to connect yeah. to the people, to yeah. the audience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It is emotionally heavy to be a performance poet, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you're, I mean, you can, performance poetry can just be entertainment and fun and that kind of thing, yeah. of course, but, um, but yeah, kind of being willing to go there is part of the way that I do my poetry. And so it is, it's freaking exhausting. Like after doing mm. a set um, and giving my whole self to that, I can feel very tired. How do you <laughs> refill yourself? How do you recuperate? Um, th- things like like the wood carving and mm. that kind of stuff. Tactile um, experience more. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and just... Uh, I'm just lying down listening to music and yeah. disconnecting I guess disconnecting yeah. Yeah. yeah I think disconnecting from life and the world which is hard because often yeah often I'll get home and then it's my turn with the kids so that's <laughs> not as um, well it switches it up right it does switch it up yeah that's right it might be a classic reinvigorating but sitting there and building Lego it can just be as very soothing yeah, I mean. yeah that's right yeah <laughs> I would like that. <laughs> yeah. Lego, I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what's next for you in the future? What is next for me in the future? Um, as I said, I've got a few things, like there's a bunch of stuff that I'm constantly doing and so a few things coming out, like the online course coming out in September, my book, um, that so it's called Woven, A Spirituality for the Dissatisfied, um, coming out in November, being published in Australia in November. Um, and then I think the start of next year I'll work on this new album um, and and try to bring that together. There's an American musician that I that is keen to do some stuff, so I might bring do it in collaboration with him, which would be really great. Um, and so 
yeah, I think those those three kind of things are going to take me well into uh, into next year. Um, and then who knows? We'll see after that. I'm sure I'll get inspired with my next idea and next project. Um, I, I'm excited to take my fiction book and like I've just begun the editing process of that. Oh, cool. Um, which, as we know, is just as... Im- I'm actually I'm loving editing more than I am initial writing these days, which is really weird because I used to hate editing. Right. But now I love it. Like I love the movement of taking the work that like all that shit crap mm. poetry that I've written or, or <laughs> fiction book or whatever that I've written and um, and working out the most beautifully articulate and economic way that I can phrase this that someone would read it and be just as moved by the sentence by the way that I've phrased and structured this sentence as the content itself like you know those lines that you read something mm. and you're like yeah. oh yeah 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 um yeah, so I love doing that. I really love. So I'm, I'm really enjoying working on that kind of, to then hopefully find a publisher for that that fiction book at some point. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, and then I'll keep on touring and all the stuff that I'm doing. Yeah. And for our listeners uh, who are listening, where can they find you on social media? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, you can find my website at joelmcarrow.com. So J O E L M C K E R R O W dot com. Uh, and then all my Instagram and Facebook and stuff is they're the two main kind of things that I use on social media. Instagram a lot is is just Joel McCarrow poet on Instagram or Joel McCarrow on Facebook. Um, the other thing that I do that I totally didn't even mention mm. I'm on a podcast mm. is I do my own podcast as well. So not my own me and a um, and um, filmmaker photographer in the states. Uh, an incredible woman named Joy Prouty started a. We just finished our first season of our podcast. It's called uh, The Deep Place on Creativity and Spirituality, um, and so um, beginning to do interviews and stuff like this one for um for uh, my second season coming up at some point at the end of the year. So um. You can look up the deep place on creativity and spirituality if you listen to podcasts. Have a listen to stuff as well. But and I've got yeah all the videos on YouTube and all the normal kind of stuff. So just look up Joel McCarrow. There's only one other Joel McCarrow, and I think he's from the UK and definitely not a poet. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So you'll find me pretty quickly. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Well, thank you so much for being here. My absolute privilege. And we're looking forward to everything you have to bring out also to the world thank you yeah and we'll share all the links yeah that'd be great thank you very much no thank worries you. thank you guys <laughs> thanks joe and as usual you can find us on www.wordupodcast.com where you will find our past episodes with guests from season one as well as our latest guests in season two you'll also be able to find our social media and information that our guests have talked about in each episode thank you was that okay <laughs> You're really good to interview because you have a lot to say. So oh, this yeah, is actually we're quite like just easy. like hanging out. I, like, I do tend to have a lot to say. Because I'd have a question, then you go into. It. I was like, never. Mind. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I still have a few questions.